Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and Jesus Christ, our brother. Amen. Is parenting a science or an art? I think those who have lived through parenting know that it is not science, but we wish it were. We tend toward math and science, as many of us, In fact, our whole world basically tends toward math and science or sports, one or the other, and there's a reason for that. Our world runs on these things, technology and sports. The reason for it is it's predictable. There's outcomes that you can see, you can measure, you can quantify. There's rules that we live by. There's winners and losers. It's controllable. And there's a path. You know step one. You know step two. You know step three. Then what do we do when that athlete that we raised for 16 years of his life finishes high school, goes off to college, and drops out and becomes a drug addict? All of a sudden, all those things that we thought were measurable, step one, step two, is all out the window. Because parenting is not a science. You can't program your kids into the outcome that you want them to have. And that's what we're looking at today. We learn this because we have our first child, those of us who have had children, and we make all our mistakes that first child we make all our mistakes and then we think when the second child comes we've got it figured out and that second child comes along and we know what we're supposed to do and then the child turns out to be the complete opposite of the first child and everything's the complete different and we have to learn it all over again then if you're blessed enough to have the third child you find out that's just a horse of a different color And then you have the fourth child, and it's a mix of all the other three into one. It's not a science. And that's why endless books have been written on parenting. That's why billions of dollars are spent every year on sociological studies. That's why careers are booming, psychology, and the need for counselors. But as we look at this, we find nobody really knows. Nobody really knows all the answers. And that's what our series on wisdom has been all about. It's been an art. The art of seeing God and understanding how God works, how he designs this world, and how we are either in harmony with his path and his way or not. So we're going to see this in three ways as we look at this passage. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the first thing the passage says is to train a child. Train a child. Train and not control. That's the first. Secondly... Train him into 
the way he should go, not my outcomes that I've decided. So train him into his way, not my own outcomes. And thirdly, so that when he is old, he will continue in that way, not so that when he is old, he will become exactly what I want him to be. So first of all, it's about training. The Hebrew word is chanak, train. It's interesting, in fact, it made me laugh a little when I was looking up this word, word chanak, it's related to another word, anak, a cognate word which means to strangle. I thought that's a good description of what parenting is like as we try to train our child up and we end up wanting to strangle them. But it turns out the word kanak doesn't mean to strangle, but it has to do with a narrowing, like how the neck narrows up into your head and your brain. It has to do with a narrowing and a directing up to the mind. And that's done in certain ways. A related word has the sense of the mouth, tasting. Tasting something that is good, like you might give a baby a pacifier. Or you might give someone a treat. It has both the control aspect of discipline, where you put a bit and bridle in a horse's mouth, but then also the blessing and incentive of putting the carrot in front of the horse's mouth. It's both things. So you train a child. And Psalm 32 says, Do not be like the horse or the mule that needs to be dragged around by the bit and bridle in its mouth or it won't follow you. Training means helping a child understand how things work. It includes both structure and style. Now I'll make a shameless plug for our school's writing class because I know the teacher. It's a good class. But how many of you are scared of writing? How many of you, when you were growing up, had a class called creative writing? And they put a blank sheet in front of you and told you to write something creative. And now that word creative writing is a cringe word for you because you don't know what to write. Instead, you prefer math or video games because you know what to do with those things. They make sense to you. You know what comes first, what comes next, what comes after that. Math and sports and video games, it all seems to make sense, which is why we tend to lean that direction. But there's something in writing that tests the way we think. So this curriculum that we use in the school is called IEW. It's the Institute for the Excellence in Writing. And they have a program for writing called Structure and Style, in which they show that there is a process in which you can learn the skills of writing and not just be expected to put something down on a blank page and make it sound good. There are skills that we can learn, processes, in how to create something. And when the children learn the first basic steps of this, you can all agree with me, right? 
you begin to see how you can make the decisions for yourself. You get the skills and then you put them to work to make the decisions for writing what to write and what not to write. In fact, lesson number seven in their lessons used to be called creative writing and now they changed it to invention. Because invention is about taking what you already have and then working it into something new, which is how we learn. In Bible class, we're going to be doing the same thing, the same basic concept. If you're going to read how to learn how to read your Bible, which is what we're starting this morning, there are certain skills that you can develop, certain basic fundamental understandings of how the Bible works to get you from step one to step two. It's not just a matter of just opening up and magically you understand everything. We're directing you into a path. This is discipleship. It's training. It's what Ephesians 6 says is nurturing and admonishing a child. Nurturing in that you care and you give them choices. And you graciously forgive them when they make the wrong choices. But also structure. Admonition, the passage says, where you don't just let them go off and make all the decisions. They're not the parents. The adults are. And there's a reason for that as God designed us. Boundaries and barriers and discipline that we all need, there's consequences to the choices we make. We train up a child. And when we train them, we're training them toward a way and not an outcome. Okay, we're training them into the way and not toward my own outcomes. The most important question we can ask then is, what's the point? What is the point of what we're doing here? What is the point of church? What is the point of Bible class? What is the point of Sunday school? What is the point of education? What is the point of parenting? What's the point? Is the goal of parenting to be friends with your child? Is the goal of parenting to have your child like you all the time, without exception? And any time they don't like you, you must do something to make them like you again. Is the goal of parenting because I said so? If I say it, that's all that matters. You do it. Is the goal of parenting to make sure the outcome turns out right? That they're getting an A, that they're being successful, that they're getting paid a good salary when they grow up. Well, Andrew Pudua, who created the Institute for Excellence in Writing, would say, no. It's the process, not the product, that we're concerned with in raising up children. It's the process and not the product. The process matters, which is why the passage says, train a child into the way. A way is a path, not a destination. It's a way of going. It's a journey. It's a moving in a direction 
But it's not the end result. You're training them into a way, into his or her way. That means that one student might find that writing becomes very easily, or math comes very easily, or sports comes very easily. And another child might struggle with writing, or struggle with math, or struggle at sports. The point is to train them into the way, which means wherever they're at doesn't matter. The point is improving at where you're at, the way you learn, the way you think, the way the Lord has shaped you into the way. So, for instance, when a baby wants to learn to walk, you want your child, baby to learn to walk, don't you? Until they start walking and start running away and then you start to regret that. Before they walk, they first have to, what? Stand. Before they can stand, they first have to, what? Crawl. And before they crawl, they have to learn to scoot and move and roll over. And so there's a process. You're not just going to put a baby out in front of us today and just plop them down and say, walk. That'd be foolish. So why would we expect the same thing at any stage of our life? Think of how God parents. After all, he's our Heavenly Father. So he's going to be the perfect example of parenting. In Hosea 11, verse 1, it talks about God's parenting. And this is a great passage to go back and read. Hosea, starting at verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You remember God calling Israel out of Egypt and rescuing them from slavery and bringing them out? He said, you're going to be mine now. When Israel was a child, I loved him. So it pictures Israel as a toddler. But the more they were called the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. And yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up. I took them up by their arms. but they did not know that I healed them. I can't even read it. (laughs) The Lord loves his people so much. That he looks at Israel as if they're his own child. Did God need to correct Israel? Yes. Did he need to discipline them? Yes. When they rebelled, when they went the wrong way, did he need to let them know that it hurt him? Yes. 
Which is why he says, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. So he sends his true son. Jesus comes, takes the place of Israel as God's beloved son, and he goes into the way for us. He makes the sacrifice. He lays down his life, and he shows us how. Not just what, but how. The goal is to learn Jesus. That's the point. Wisdom is about the art of seeing Jesus and helping our children to see Jesus, to see his way by the way we talk, by the way we instruct, by the way we live our lives. So that when they are old, they will continue in that way. The third point is so that when they are old, they will continue to practice that way of life, the Christian way. Not so that they will become whatever you've imagined they will become. There's a sign above the school, right? It says, train a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. And it's easy then to think, if I just put my child in the school, then they're going to turn out well. Well, it doesn't work that way. The passage is not promising if you plug your child into the school, a Christian school, that that's automatically going to make sure they stay Christian all their life. It's also not going to assure that they're going to go to college. They're going to be a nurse. They're going to be a homeowner with a family, that they're going to make $40,000 a year. They're going to be anything. What the aim of our school is, is the way. In the ancient world, you did expect your child to become something. Education, raising a child, was about initiation into adulthood. And in those days, the son would almost always end up doing what the father did. So if your father was a metal worker, if your father was a stonemason, a shepherd, a tent maker, a priest, or a king, you're going to learn those trades. A metal worker is going to learn how to take care of hot Fires, metals. A stonemason is going to learn how to chip a little stone away and make a shape of how it breaks. A shepherd's going to learn how to stay out with the sheep and the goats at night. A tent maker is going to learn how to dry animal skins and so on. Into his way is, in that world, an initiation into the trade that your father does. But what is the trade we are talking about in this passage? What is the initiation, what are we initiating the children into? Wisdom is practicing the art of seeing God, our Father, the way that he does things, his trade. 
And the whole church is part of this. The whole church is part of this mentoring process of all of the children, every one of them, whether they're here today or they're not, every one of our members is part of this growing up stage. In the day school, we've been doing devotions in the morning on the subject has been the theme of knighthood. And in the middle medieval ages, knights had a certain process of how you got from being a child to a man. So a boy would start out as a page, then he'd become a squire, and finally a knight. Each of those stages was important. As a child of seven or eight years old, he was a page, which meant he was living at home, and mostly his mom was taking care of him. But then by age 13, he was a squire, which meant he was coming out of the home. He was going out with a knight. He was following his knight around and making sure he had everything he needed, and he'd go out into battle with him. And then as he's trained up and he becomes about 20 years old, finally he becomes a knight. Look around the church and think about what stage are each of these children in. There's the stage at home. There's the stage of emerging out into the world. There's the stage of being an adult. Look around and care about all of them, whether you're a parent or not, whether you have a child here or not. This is all our family. And Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but what is few? The laborers. Take an interest in how a child is doing, how a teenager, someone at ILC, Jesus led his disciples by saying, follow me. Show them your example. Show them how you do things, not just what you do, but how you do them. And when they are old, they will not forget. We've been considering the Proverbs of Solomon now for seven weeks. Now we're looking back on that series, wrapping it up today. What did we learn? Well, you could think about what did Solomon learn? Did Solomon learn wisdom? What did Solomon see in his dad? Well, do you know who Solomon's dad was? And if you don't, or if you do, come to Bible class. We're having a whole series on it. He remembers his dad, David. Maybe he heard the stories of his dad who had an affair his dad who murdered, his dad who was shamed, his dad who lost a child because of it, Solomon's old, older brother. But he also saw a dad who repented, a dad who wrote poetry, a dad who confessed his sins, a dad who wrote Psalm 51, calling on God for forgiveness, a dad who married his mom, Bathsheba. Solomon lived much of his life wasted. He was very rich, very famous, very wise king. But he looks back on his life as an old man and says, what was it all for? All of the accomplishments, all of the fame and riches. And he writes a book called Ecclesiastes. 
And I'm going to close our series with these final verses from Ecclesiastes. The final words of Solomon. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. And the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, the capital S. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, of all that has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil.